I'm Evan Applegate, I'm a cartographer, and on very expensive maps, I talk to better cartographers. Today you'll hear from map producer Melinda Clark and illustrator Deborah Young-Monk, who together spend years creating intricate bird's-eye maps of Australian cities. Melinda Clark, um, I call St. Leonard's on the Ballerine home. I've been here for about 27 years now, and I'm not big on titles, but I do have to write something and I usually write producer or founder. Deborah Young-Monk. I live in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. I am one of Melinda's stable of illustrators. Melinda approached me. I was in my late 20s and she asked me to be involved in a drawing of a tourist map of Melbourne. Neither of us had any idea how long it, how long it would take. We thought maybe six months. Uh, because we had no idea how detailed the project would become. And as the drawing began to take shape and grow from the centre of the big sheet of paper on our drawing board, um, we got excited and we allowed ourselves a lot of freedom to uh, draw the city, the CBD, and a seven-kilometre radius around it with... Uh, as many of the main landmarks and funny characters that we could show. So that was 1990. We started in 87. So we we published it in 1990, but we, we actually started the project back in 87. And what were you doing in 87, Melinda? Working for a film production company that produced television commercials. But I met Deborah through another business that I, I worked for prior to the film company, which was a, a guy that hired out boats and trains and organised parties on these boats and trains. I had been working on the development of the map. I'd spoken to quite a few artists. And um, my friend Stephen, who owned the company, he said, got to have a look at this. And he showed me a invitation Deborah had drawn for his birthday party and I was like, oh, she's really talented. It had nothing to do with maps. And I think it was at his birthday party that I met Deborah and just said, I really liked the illustration that you did and, and I've got this map idea and do you want to have a chat? So that's sort of, um, that's where it, it first began. And had you been inspired by another bird's eye map of another city? Oh, yes. I left Australia when I was about 20 four, I think, um, and spent a couple of years uh, backpacking around Europe and then over to America. I, so when I came home, I, I had a swag of these illustrated maps that I'd collected. It, it was a thing over there, um, especially in the States. There was some awesome maps. I think it, the company was Universal Maps, I think. And I not only was I enamored with these illustrated maps of the cities, I just found it was so much easier to get around a city by actually picking out landmarks and they were souvenirs as well. So when I got back to Melbourne, um, I looked for a, a similar map of Melbourne. I couldn't find one. Um, and really the idea was cemented because I did a course on putting business plans together. I didn't know what I was going to do um, with my life and after I'd been traveling for two years. So I knew I wanted to create something and I applied the idea of the Melbourne map to the business plan. And I worked on that for, I think, three or four months. Um, and then I started, um, looking for an artist that would, would like to work on the projects. And then when I met Deborah, it was just such an amazing fit because 
she was just as enamored with the city of Melbourne as I was. And we just, you know, we just kept on talking after our, our first meeting and, you know, she agreed to take it on. And we actually worked from the garage at the back of my mother's house, um, for all those years. So, um, we were just basically working nights and weekends. It was a really fun thing to do. I think she mentioned before that we thought it would take about six months and it just kept on going on and on. But, you know, all we were really investing at that time was was our time and um, there, were, there were considerable costs, but I was able to fund that from my full-time job and it was mainly buying film and getting it developed. And Deborah, were you a working commercial illustrator at this point? No, I wasn't. I was actually working for... Meyer in interior design, where I was doing um, interior design drafting. So we would design all the interiors of the stores, something quite different, drafting drawings of the interiors of stores. Do you mind giving me, Melinda, the end-to-end process for creating this? I think from memory, Deborah, we, we found this beautiful aerial photograph that I'd got from one of the government department. We screened it onto a, onto a wall or to a white sheet of paper and started to sort of work out the streets from that. And it was just a matter of like how big the buildings were going to be or small and what we could fit in and all the major arterial roads that we needed to include, waterways. And it sort of, once we got that draft right, then Deborah started to fill it in with pencil at first and with no logic to it because we both had no experience in this area and, and Deborah would tend to get excited about uh, a certain area and, and start drawing. It wasn't logical as we approach the maps now, but that, that's all we knew. And we just started that way and it just kept on growing. There was a lot of influence too from looking at old engravings of Melbourne, in particular one done by Samuel Kelvett in the 1880s that looked at Melbourne from the same aspect that we took in a bleak. And it was looking at the... Uh, all the CBD buildings of Melbourne as it was in the 1880s was very impressive. You started with this one aerial photo laying out the streets and filling in the buildings. Kind of. It it was kind of that way, but it it wasn't. We were just, you know, researching and it was very difficult to get aerial photographs. I I did manage to get some from government departments. And it was also clear that Melbourne was going through a bit of a growth spurt. So there was all these buildings that were half done or uh, so I ended up by going into the council and saying, you know, can you give me a list of all the buildings that you've approved Um, and, and then getting the name of the developers and then going and contacting the developers and getting a meeting with them. And back in those days, they used to, you know, make scale models. Um, And then I'd go into their office and take a photograph of the scale model. And we knew what that building was going to look like. So we, we, Kind of over these years, things were were moving and changing all the time. And then I contacted um, a fellow called Chris Dewhurst, who uh, was the only hot air balloon um, pilot that was allowed to fly over Melbourne. There's lots that fly over there now, but at that at that time, he was the only pilot that was um, had permission to fly over there. So I contacted him and I said, you know, Deborah and I are doing this amazing map of Melbourne and would I be able to get a flight over Melbourne um, and could we get it for this, a discount because we're doing this thing on the cheap. He came around to our little studio at the back of mum's house in the garage and 
he just took one look at the drawing and he just said, this is absolutely fantastic um, and I'll support you how I can. And every time there was a spare space on the um, in the basket, in the balloon, he would give me a call and I'd meet him like five o'clock in the morning and fly over Melbourne. So I never knew where over Melbourne we were going to fly. So I just had like four or five rolls of film and I would just take photos of anything I could and depend on what direction we were going in. And so we got photos that way and then also photos walking the streets. So it sort of just evolved over time and had different spurts of going quickly and then going slowly. It's a lot, you know, like we were at it for like three years, I think, Deborah, weren't we? Yeah, it was a long, slow process because we had to wait for films to be developed, which usually took a week. And um, we were walking the streets and Melinda or, or both of us went up in the balloon. I went up, I think, twice and Melinda went up many times. That was fantastic to see Melbourne from that perspective and then go back to the studio and put the sort of detail in that you saw from a balloon because you can come down very, very low over the buildings and you see people like we saw one woman coming out in her in her dressing gown with a cup of coffee. She didn't even know we were there until one of us called out, good morning, and she looked up and was like, wow. <laughs> it was fantastic. Also, we would see all these funny things happening in the streets when we were driving around doing our research. We saw a couple of funny things and I thought, I've got to put that in the drawing because it's just so quirky. And then that started a whole other side of the drawing happening where it became a real character drawing and lots of funny incidents went into it. That has become virtually a trademark on the maps that we produce because it's not just landmark, it's actually what happened on that street and... Just lots and lots and lots of activities and quirky things and hidden things in the map that make it relatable to people. So, you know, people can clearly relate to the map. There's a certain part of of, uh, of Melbourne where, you know, prostitutes would, would be walking along the street. So we've got a prostitute on the first map. And then there's, you know, skate park. <laughs> you know, different types of vehicles and activities in all these different places. All those things make the maps meaningful. There's not prostitutes on all our maps, but it just was, <laughs> it was just a, it was just an example. Maybe that was a bad example. Sorry about that. But, <laughs> but it's a big choice. Um, you know, people identify with those, with those areas. And we decided that the things that went on the drawing were things that we saw. We had to see those things for them to go onto the drawing because that made it genuine and bona fide. So we saw a guy playing, when we were driving around Williamstown, we, we saw this guy um, doing some golf practice in front of a no golfing sign. And it was so funny to see that, you know, that had to go on. So it was all these, all these really great things that we saw that went into the drawing. That's what really made it come alive, especially as an illustrator. It, it lent life to every day I went in there and I thought, ooh, who am I? And I'd scoured the photos that we'd had developed. And um, they were all lined up across the top of the drawing. And you'd look into the draw into the photographs and say, oh, yeah, there's that little guy. We'll put him on that street. So things like that were happening. That's a lot of character. Rogue golfers, prostitutes. Australia's a wild place, I knew, but not this one. <laughs> and so, Melinda, did you go up in this balloon a dozen times? At least a dozen. It was just the best, the best thing. And, and Chris was such a big supporter of, of the project. Well, it just added to the to the joy of what we were we're doing. 
But it was the in the days where, you know, there was no mobile phones. It was just the phones. I'd always had the hardwired phone next to the bed with my camera and with six rolls of film because I never knew when I was going to go up because often he'd just get cancellations and sometimes he'd call me the night before, but most of the times it was just early in the morning. I was just up and out. And the people that I was working, working for knew that sometimes I would be late to work because I'd been flying in the balloon. So you'd shoot about 100, 120 shots every time you went up, come down, develop them. Wait for a week. And wait for a week. And then did you have to index them? Like, how did you organize them? Uh, it was a manila folder that had the area that was photographed because, you know, you might photograph an area, but you're not going to draw that for a while. So um, the area that was photographed um, and then, yeah, writing all over the photographs themselves. And then if we'd taken them in succession, you would stick them together with sticky tape. So then Deborah could stick those to, to the top of the drawing and have reference. And she worked on this huge easel and it's, it's actually um, physically really would have been really hard for her to be working on that easel so down the bottom and up the top and in all different spots and it was yeah an an amazing artistic feat for her to to one keep on committing to one illustration for such a long time thank you melinda not nice of you and and to make sense of all these these photographs and to you know to fit all this in and it's funny, like it is, it is a character representation of the city. It's not building for building, but it has all the important buildings in it. Um, and then in some street, um, you know, we Deborah would put each corner building on it, so you could recognise the corner. But it wouldn't have every house along or every building along the street. And and of all the time, you know, for the for the years and years that I was I was um, selling uh, the maps, that people didn't um, say, "Oh, you got that role." They just go, "Oh, I know that building," you know. So they'd they'd um, they were very forgiving of it being a map. It wasn't a true, you know. Nobody was going to look at that and and um, hold us responsible about going the wrong way or up the wrong street. It was. It, it was meant to be a character illustration and they just embraced what we had on there, not what we didn't have. I see. They weren't mad that you left off their specific place. They were glad that you gave them a place to orient off of with every corner. Yeah, 99.9%. I did have some nasty letters sent to me telling me that I'd, I'd left out a suburb or... Or didn't draw their house. Oh, I didn't draw their house, but, you know, that comes with the territory when we're, when we're making these maps. It does... It, it does happen. You can't you can't please everybody, but yeah, the majority of people just enjoyed it for what it was. And there was also a television program that did this seven minute segment on on the map and how it was put together. And it that was just such a treasure to be able to put on this current website we have because it really does explain how it was done. And they they came and filmed us going up in hot air balloon and it's represented it in film format. It was really good. How did the press find out about it? I'd been constantly contacting newspapers, radio stations, and, you know, saying we're doing this map of Melbourne. I didn't really get much traction until the very first print of our limited edition black and white map. I think we got a bit of press in one of the newspapers, a couple of local newspapers and then a major new newspaper. And we were able to go on radio and then 
we had this radio interview with government ABC radio station with with a very popular presenter. So after we, you know, finished that, I just our phone just didn't stop ringing. You know, people were really interested in it, and then we got another press article um, in the Age, and yeah, that really how it started. Um, and then I knew that that's really what I've just got to do is just keep on um, plugging away at contacting media and giving them a story to tell. And so we, we printed the black and white version and it was a limited edition print. The whole process of actually getting it from the artwork to a printing plate was just a huge learning curve because um, we had no experience with printing either. Um, and then finding the right people that could photograph it and get it to a, a plate. And then because we wanted to print it on a rag paper um, and we couldn't actually screen print it, um, we found a, uh, this company that had a big old Heidelberg press, an, an enormous old press, and they were willing to put in this Fabriano Stonehenge, I think it was, this paper that we'd spent an absolute fortune getting from Italy. And they printed the limited editions for us. Um, they blew the blanket on this big press. They knew that there was a risk of that. So it, the printing took a couple of days to do this printing. And we had this lovely limited edition print just in time for the stock market crash of the 90s. So it was, wasn't was easy selling, um, you know, art um, at that point. Um, and... And again, we didn't have any technology or um, emails or the web or anything like that. So I used to take a very large um, print that I had sandwiched between a bit of Perspex and put into this specially made um, ah, um, bag that I had made up or suitcase and then another suitcase with all these frame samples and I would just go and knock, knock on doors in at businesses and uh, go to the reception area and just open up uh, the suitcase and show them the the prints. And that usually, you know, got some interest and it actually was a way that people used to sell art and, and jewellery and all that going from office to office. So that's how I sold a lot of the prints and then um, and had them framed. So we were making some money from, from the framing as well. But I've over and over and over again, people were saying, when are you going to do a colour one? Then that was the next journey of trying to work out how to colour it. Walking around town with your map slung over your shoulder. Shoe leather cartography in both ways. <laughs> the start at the end. Such a different world now to what it was then. Things are done differently. Deborah, just to scroll back a bit. So you had these thousands of photos lined on top of your easel. You were drawing from reference. Did you start in pencil and then over with ink? That's another interesting thing that's changed. On that drawing, I used a blue drafting clutch pencil, which was what I'd been using when I'd been working as a draftsman. When we decided, okay, well, that area's finished, now I can go to ink, I was using uh, what was called a rotaring drafting pen, 0.5. And, and so that, and one of the things about um, the printing process back then was that it didn't pick up the blue. So, it wasn't quite as serious trying to get the the underdrawing off the paper, although, you know, we did try to get it off. But these days with the, um, we use um, a very soft black pencil on an Archer's hot press paper. And when it's scanned, any 
stain, any pencil stain in the paper shows. And Melinda's actually just been talking to me this evening about how they're still finding um, pencil stains on the paper while they're scanning this new drawing that we're about to print and, and put out because the scanning process is just so concise and picks up every little mark on the paper. There's no forgiveness in the scanner. You have to have everything absolutely right. So it's a different era in that respect as well. More time scrubbing stuff out in Photoshop. Yeah, that's right. And that's where the changes have to be, you know, where the corrections have to be made. Whereas on the original drawing, you could use, the, I'm calling it a whiteout um, ink, but it, it um, actually has a professional name that you use when you, when you would try to white out an area back in the 1980s. And it didn't, the camera didn't pick it up. So there was a little bit of room for manoeuvre there. And there were a lot of changes made on that original drawing. You can't do that on these drawings now because the scanners pick it up. Were you working still full time as a drafter, and then you'd in your after yes. hours go to this garage in the enormous easel? Sounds like a very unglamorous place to go to, but it was actually beautifully fitted out. Uh, Melinda's mum had dressed this garage up with fabric lining around the walls. We had a big picture window at the ends, looking out on the garden. It was a pretty nice place to be, actually. <laughs> But yeah, I was working um, for the first couple of years, I was still full-time working at Maya. And then um, Melinda organised the financing so that I could leave and work full-time to finish the map because it looked like the way it was going, it was going to take you know another few years before we'd get it finished and we needed to, to get it done. We needed to finish it. So if I could leave my job and be able to afford to live, well... That's what needed to happen. So she made it happen. With no revenue coming in, got to pay the artist. <laughs> I borrowed $50,000 back in 1989, I think, or not, early 1990, at 22.5% interest. And that was the only funding I could get. It was an overdraft. Um, and in fact, it's a, it's a bit of a miracle. And that happened before the stock market crashed. There's no way a bank would even look at me. Um, uh, you know, after the stock market crashed, but beforehand they were just, it was just, it was actually a, a conversation with my accountant and he had a mate at a bank and he had a chat to the mate at the bank and, you know, gave us a good rap. Um, and then, yeah, next thing I was signing on the dotted line and we didn't have any money coming in. It was just all going out. So, and the, and again, the bank was okay with that. It was a big gamble because uh, Melinda really had a lot of faith in this project, let me tell you. Apparently. When you go to the bank, did you say, hey, my collateral is 4,000 photos taken from a hot air balloon, an unfinished pencil drawing? That's the way it happened back in, in, the, in the 90s. You, you know, you, can, you knew your bank manager back then, you know. We're now just behind screens and you don't know anyone. So, like, I don't know. They didn't ask for a guarantee guarantee or anything like that it was pretty incredible you couldn't do it today but comparing comparing um, map making and and marketing back then too um the the way I I sold a lot of our prints to framers and back in the day a framer would have a bricks and mortar store um and they would have a um a big rack that would they'd have posters in, 
um, there you flip, you could flip that rack and see which print that you wanted to, to, uh, to buy and, um, and then get them to frame it. Or they'd have a little catalog of a book with maybe another, you know, two, 300 prints to choose from. Um, so, and our map was pretty extraordinary when it was finished and it was of Melbourne um, and you went into a, a poster shop and it was there. So we sold tons and tons and tons and tons of them. And our competition was maybe a thousand, you know, other images. But these days, anybody can produce art and anybody can print it and anybody can have a website. And our competition now is wall space with, with millions of art, um, artworks. Um, you can reach a whole lot of people from all, all around the world, but it's a whole different way of, of doing things. Yeah, it sure was fun back then. I, I just, you know, I think Deborah enjoyed herself too. <laughs> we both had a yeah, did. Make, making it. And so we used to invite people around to the studio all the time. We had drinks and cheese and bickies and a big sign over the map, don't touch the map. And we had this little book and I, I do talks all the time now and I've got a little picture of this book and I was like, this is Facebook in the 90s, people would actually show their face and they'd write in our book and, and um, give us sort of words of encouragement and promises to buy. Two years and 11 months into it, it's in the garage. How big is this original drawing? 1.3 metres wide, I think, and a metre and a metre tall. I still have the original. Yeah, it's, it's pretty big. Framed and hanging in Melinda's place. And whenever I see it, it's like, saying hello to an old friend. It was a very intimate relationship. Was this the largest contiguous piece you had worked on or was your drafting stuff about the same scale? This was a whole different ball game to anything that I'd been doing. When when I was in my early 20s, I was working in engineering offices, translating engineering drawings onto drawing paper. You know, they were they were very complex, but they'd last maybe a few weeks. And I didn't have to go out and find the material for it off and, you know, really nut out exactly what was going to go where and what we'd put on and what we wouldn't put on and um, what was, like Melinda was describing with uh, the beginnings and ends of some of the streets, you, you sort of put the corner buildings on and then work out which are the significant buildings that people would know that street by looking at those buildings. There was a certain amount of brain power that went into it as well from that point of view. It was a lot of fun. I have to say, it was it was a great way to learn about your city. I knew where. I, I think Melinda is the same. We we just knew where all the great cafes were, because we were always going from one suburb to another to another to another and finding a great place to get a cup of coffee and something to eat. You really learned your city that way. Yeah, we got to go up um, the top of some buildings that there's no way that you're allowed to get up to them now. And up to the top of these silos that were looking um, over the city. And yeah, it's, it gave us a, like a free ticket to, uh, to get, you know, this information um, because we, we would take photos of the, of the map and show it to people and say, we're doing this map and, you know, can you help us out? And there was one actually, I uh, used to hitchhike on a helicopter rides. So there was a guy that um, had um, like scenic helicopter rides down on the Yarra River. Um, and I went down there one time and showed showed him the map. And then several times after that, because there was tourists coming in down and, and spending, I don't know, whatever it was that they had to buy a ticket for. 
and they didn't fill up the helicopter. So he's sort of like, come on. And so I'd just jump on the helicopter with my, with my, um, uh, camera and film and just fly around and take photos from there as well. So there was lots and lots of opportunities to meet, you know, amazing people and get up to the tops of all these buildings and great experiences. Wow, the only commercial map I've heard of that had car survey, balloon survey, <laughs> helicopter survey, walking survey. Is there any places that you just couldn't get to or were occluded in the map? Like, oh, we're going to cover that with the building. I think we got to where we needed to to see what we needed to see. One place that I thought was really interesting was the Bureau of Meteorology building in the CBD which um, enabled us to look north from the city just to see the size and scale of of the technology involved in that building was something a lot of people don't don't get to see they don't get to realize just you know what it takes to put the weather report together <laughs> and here in melbourne they still get it wrong floor after floor after floor of computers and people hustling around getting information together and and then we went to the top and looked out over the northern aspect of, of Melbourne towards Mount Macedon, and it was just fabulous. It, it was a very tall building with a lot of lot of technology inside it. It was very interesting. The beauty of the whole project is that we had no idea what we were doing, so we didn't know if what we were doing was acceptable or not. We weren't cartographers. We didn't know in any cartographers, and... One thing, the course that I did to do this business plan, what I learned from that was that there is no silly question. And if you don't know something, just ask and find out. And if the first person doesn't tell you, then try and find someone else. And that's kind of the approach we had. If we didn't get, you know, what we needed from one person, then we, we just try and find another one that would, would give us the answer that we need or the information that we needed. And, and because I think it was such an interesting project, you know, people were very generous. And they'd get really excited about the project, wouldn't they, Melinda? One of the really great things about not knowing people in the in that, if you like, an industry, is that when you come in fresh like that, there are no inhibitions because you don't feel like there's boundaries. And you can just, if you decide that this is what you want it to look like, then you just go right ahead and do it because nobody has said, oh, this is what it should look like. So we were very free to do things the way... Have you actually seen the drawing, Evan? Yes. I don't think that there was anything else like it around at that time. There's a lot of maps around now that have got a lot of the sort of characters in it that we have. But I don't think that there were any drawings around that had those kind of things happening in them at that time. And I think that we were very fortunate because... We didn't see other people's drawings or anything. There was no references. We just came at it with fresh eyes and decided, oh, this is what we want it to look like. So we made it happen. And you'll find people who are happy to experience what you create. At the very end point, you take the precious map away from the do not touch sign. You get it photographed. First run on the beautiful Italian paper, go around and sell it. And it's a hit after all the walking around with the suitcase. When did you think, I'm out of debt, time to do another one? I wasn't out of debt for quite a while with that. So after the limited edition print and then constantly people asking about a color print, I had to find someone that could actually color it. There was some changes that had to be made to the actual original drawing because in the first drawing, 
that we've done. We decided early on that we wanted the, the word Melbourne to be within the drawing. And Deborah drew, drew this beautiful banner within the drawing. One night she had an epiphany and she drew a, a, a guy in a biplane dragging along this beautiful banner with the word Magic Melbourne on it. I'd had a lot of feedback from people saying, well, the banner covers that north part of Melbourne or what's with the guy in the plane. And so made the decision that he had to go. Horace, I think his name was, wasn't it, Deborah? Yep, he was Horace. So Horace had to go. There'd been another couple of buildings that had uh, been built or that were about to be uh, to be built. So the drawing needed to be updated. And then it was photographed again and made into a screen print. And when I got the screen prints, a lot of the, um, so windows uh, on all these small buildings had gone together. The ink had actually gone and closed those windows. So they, they were black spots instead of open windows and and a lot of the lines had come together. So I spent um, more than a week with a magnifying glass and a scalpel pulling out all those windows and solid lines to, to pair the map back to what it was meant to be. So I was over a huge light box at this printer's place, just scraping and scraping and scraping to get it back. And then he screen printed that map from this great big film onto some watercolour paper, same size as the original, really large, and printed 25 of those. Number one of that edition, edition of 25, went to another couple of artists, Heather Potter and Mark Jackson. And I found them um, via a bookshop that I'd gone past in the city of Melbourne that had a couple of maps, really, really old, beautiful old maps that had been hand-coloured. And I said, who hand-coloured those? Because I'd actually given the original limited editions to about two or three artists to get them to hand-colour them. And each one of them were really, really terrible. Anyway, I found these two artists and I approached them, they coloured one of the limited editions. I really love what they did. And I said, will you take on colouring all the original screen prints? And it took them six months to hand colour this in watercolours and going through the 7,000 photographs. So to get the right colour for each building. And they did it absolutely extraordinary. Did a beautiful job. Oh, it's just sensational. If anyone that, that watercolours, you know, can really understand the scale of the, the map that they had to do and um, large areas of water and and you can't make mistakes. Be, not like now. If, we, if I want anything changed on the colour of the maps these days, it's all done digitally and I can say no and change the colour of that paddock to green instead of yellow or whatever. But they did an extraordinary job. And then that's when it was photographed again and this 10 by 8 and scans. And then I had plates made and met a print broker that, you know, was helping me with um, with with that process. The plates were made. Um, I got a proof of it. And that was what I had in my hands. And I thought I'd, printing was going to cost me five or $6,000, which I didn't really have at that time. But I then went to a print distributor because I thought that's the way I'm going to sell these um, maps. And this this guy sat back in his big chair behind his big desk and, and told me that he would take a hundred of them from me when, when they were printed. And I walked away from that meeting going, um, 
in a lot of trouble here if he thinks he can only sell 100, I'm going to sell them myself. So we got them printed. Just a, a very short buy story to that is someone rang me up a couple of days after they were printed and they were all being dried still. And someone called me and said, oh, I saw your new map of Melbourne. It looks fantastic. And I said, you can't have seen it. They're all at the printers. They go, no, it, we definitely saw it. It was Dan St Kilda and it was in this shop. And I'm like, that is impossible. It's not my print. It's somebody else. And then I started freaking out thinking someone had done another map of Melbourne. Anyway, I went down to this shop and sure enough, it's my print. Someone from the printers, one of the employer employees thought, wow, this is a great map and I'm going to, I'm going to make a few bucks from this and stole hundreds of them and took them to shops around Melbourne and sold them for like 10 bucks each or something like that. It is. So, you know, we, I was staking out the, uh, the shop waiting for them to come back and I was just, you know, I'm, luckily I didn't come across them, but we got our print still in the huge amounts of debt, but. The Age newspaper, which is the major newspaper in um, in Melbourne, Victoria, um, they asked me if they could print it on the inside front cover of um, the newspaper for the 150th um, anniversary of, of Captain Cook arriving here, I think, something like that. So, um, and I said, yeah, as, as long as you put, you know, that it's, $39.95 and this is my phone number and this is the address. Um, so um, they printed that and um, they sold more newspapers on that day than they ever had before because as soon as people saw it, they would take it into the office and everybody was racing back to find, to get a copy of the newspaper. And I still have people to this day telling me that they still have a copy of that newspaper article and you know it was stuck up everywhere and we just had this enormous promotion um, that we didn't realize that we we're going to have and a couple of days later when we went to the post office I was expecting to have um, people buy the map and it was people wrote checks back in the in in the day <laughs> then we didn't nobody writes checks now but over in Australia I know they still do that in 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 the states but um, uh, I went to the, to the post office expecting quite a few checks in the, in the little post office box we had, and there was nothing in there except a card to say that you've got to come around and collect stuff from the front desk. And they handed over this big sack of envelopes and that had people's names and addresses and a check. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was just, it was just insane. It was just the most. It looked something out of the movie. Yeah, it was just the most amazing experience to to get that validation from the project and to reach so many people. And that's what paid the big loan. And it didn't take too long, actually. And then a lot of the poster stores, they found out about them and they started buying them. So, And then the next stage was making jigsaw puzzles. So I really thought they didn't make a good jigsaw puzzle. And um, we had jigsaw puzzle makers um, in Australia uh, then and, and um, I think you know, printed about 12,000 copies of the puzzle. Um, and again, to this day, people say, I've got the original jigsaw puzzle. And, you know, if you, if people can find them in secondhand stores, that's sort of like this prize find the, the, you know, the original jigsaw puzzle of the Melbourne map. So it just brought a lot of joy to people. And that's, that's what we set off. It was, it, it was nothing to do with making money. That was, 
you know, for sure I didn't want to lose money and, um, you know, I'd put in years and years and years and years of my life and money into it. So, so yes, I wanted to, to not to lose money, but it was never the motivation for what we were doing. We weren't in there going, oh, we're going to make be millionaires. And we certainly weren't millionaires from making, from making a map, but, um, it was, it it was the joy that it brought to um, to people, and it just really did. Because once it left our hands, it wasn't our map; it was their map, and and kids loved it. People that you meet today grew up with it. It's quite extraordinary. Just another little funny story. Just recently, I'm googling all the time Melbourne map to make sure that my maps aren't being um, uh, copyright infringed and appearing on eBay and and Etsy and all that sort of stuff. Because that has happened to me before. Um, and so I do regular, regular checks and I saw, um, my map on Etsy, which was fine. It was a secondhand map. And this guy had sold it for 450 pound. And I'm like, I've got 80 of those in my, in my, in my drawers here. <laughs> I wish I could sell them for that much, but they're still in demand today. So people have, uh, yeah, keep their eye out for the original, original posters. And because they were all lead paints. Those posters have, after thirty years, have kept their quality, and people still have them on the wall today. And people are still trading in these maps. Yeah, people still buy that nineteen ninety map. That's just nostalgia. They could tell what a fine piece of craft. That's wild. First map maker I've talked to had to contend with bootleggers. <laughs> yeah. Going forward, the map comes out. Deborah, are you working full time for Melinda now? Did you get turned loose on other projects or? No, no. I actually went off and got married and had children. Many years later, Melinda said to me, how about we revisit this map of Melbourne and, and update it because so much has changed around the city. I'll let Melinda tell you the story because she met somebody who was able to do the newer one. So I moved from Melbourne down to the Ballerine Peninsula and I put everything, all the maps that I had left over in a shed and just stored it all in there. And it had been in there for 20-something years. And I had always thought that I would clear out that um, and move the maps on somehow. I thought I'd send all the photos off to the State Library because they had some significance, you know, of being photographed back then and um, all the buildings. So anyway, um, but I'd also stored out there all um, my... Um, journals that I'd kept all the um, sales and expenses in and they were all just pencil ledgers so that's the way you did your, your accounts back then you had a, a book that you know with with um, 20 30 columns and I just kept my accounts that way and I looked through those at the, when I went out to clean it out you know 20 years later and I thought I sold a few maps back then maybe someone would like to buy the map still um, and I put a few images on Facebook and I just had this, these people going, oh, I've been wanting to buy this map and where, where are you and can we get, have you updated it and can I get a copy of it, blah, blah, blah. So that's when I approached Deborah and I was like, you know what, there's all this new technology, we'll just scan this map, you can redraw some new buildings and we'll publish it again. This is 2015. I had met this other fellow called Lewis Brownlee and I... By this stage, I'm working for a, um, in between, I was a fish farmer for 12, 13 years down on the Ballerine. That's why I had nothing to do with maps, even though I, that's, I might've 
wanted to do that for the rest of my life, but you know, life takes you in all sorts of directions. So I was farming basically. And then when we left the farm, I started contracting for um, uh, other companies, just doing accounts and helping other people with their small businesses and stuff. And then I got a gig at a, a theatre company called Back to Back Theatre. Someone at Back to Back Theatre knew uh, someone that had done some crowdfunding and crowdfunding this book, a book of illustrations of Melbourne buildings. And it was by this guy called Lewis Brownlee. And so I contacted Lewis and I said, you know, I love your work. We did this map of Melbourne with all these buildings back in, um, in the 90s. You might like to see it, you know, can I, can we meet for coffee sometime? And he said, well, fine, except I live down in Geelong. And I'm like, beautiful. That's just, you know, 30 minutes from where I live now. So I met with him and I told him that we had these plans of, um, of updating the Melbourne map. Um, and did he know anything about, you know, the technology? He obviously had reproduced his own drawings into a book, et cetera. And he said he did. Um, but then it just became apparent that there were so many changes to Melbourne that it was going to be impossible to to um, to update the drawing we had. Um, and I had a chat to Deborah about it and her circumstances at the time. And, you know, we knew it was going to be a big project to, to do. And she was fine about me, you know, talking to Lewis about maybe taking on the project and she would work with us as a team and do character illustrations and we can combine all the drawings with this new technology. So um, Lewis was all in. He was excited about the project and I had mortgaged my house. I'd taken out a $100,000 mortgage on my home and I spoke to Lewis. He said, yep, um, I we can do this in about four to six months and I do know now not to believe artists when they tell me um, four to six months. But, but I thought maybe a year and I would, um, we'd be able to uh, finish in a, in a year and this hundred thousand dollars would, would, um, would cover Lewis's illustration fees and all the things that I needed to set up for that. Um, so Lewis, Lewis started, um, the illustration and the three of us used to do a lot of research again and again from the ground, but you know, we could use Google Maps for a lot of, for the reference. And Lewis worked full time for two and a half years on the drawing. And I ran out of money in about a year. So I learned about crowd, crowdfunding. I studied how crowdfunding works, put a campaign together, asking for $20,000. And I was secretly hoping for $50,000 because I still at this point naively thought it was only going to take another six months or a year. Um, and um, anyway, we, we got this campaign out and it was just, an, again, another incredible moment in map making. And I think in a month we sold um, $120,000, which was just amazing and um, got us a whole lot more publicity. And um, I, I did a little um, exhibition. I got a, um, was able to get a shop front in one of the most prestigious prestigious areas of Melbourne and just borrow the shop for 10 days. It was empty, like it was in between um, tenants. Um, and the the owners agreed to let me use it. I set it up as a, um, as a gallery space overnight and then um, bought up the original 
um, artwork and Lewis sat in the window of this shop for 10 days um, and just kept on drawing. So it was like he was in the, in the front of the shop and then thousands and thousands of people came and saw him draw and we pre-sold more and and um, and that's just basically how the project kept on going till, um, again, Lewis, uh, two and a half years full-time, got the black and white maps and then started marketing that, which was great. But um, I had also pre-sold colour ones and had to find someone that could colour it and just by chance meeting through a friend of Lewis's, he said he'd be able to, to colour it and he thought it was going to take him six weeks, but... He was, he took him six months to colour it. And again, another project part of it that had to be funded. But just before COVID, we had printed the colour one and filled all the pre-orders. And then um, I was, you know, hitting the streets up in Melbourne, going to all the, the places where people, tourists go, um, trying to, you know, sell our uh, jigsaw puzzles that I had printed and posters and a calendar and all this stuff that I'd made. And then all of a sudden, yeah, next early in the next year, we were in lockdown and jigsaws became the big thing. So I had already bought a container load of jigsaws from New Zealand um, and a 20 foot container. And they sold really quickly before Christmas. And I thought, you know what, I reckon uh, it costs so much to get them shipped over, I'm going to take the chance and get a 40-foot container next time. Same same price to ship, basically. Um, and by the time that that had landed, um, everybody um, was in lockdown here and doing jigsaw puzzles. And we just got some, some beautiful publicity again back through the age and some videos and TV and all that. And, and yeah, sold a ton of jigsaw puzzles. So that's kind of how we paid back the, the second iteration. But... You know, Lewis, Lewis just did an extraordinary um, job of the illustration and all Deborah's um, artwork is sort of um, melded in that as well. And yeah, it was just another great, great project to work on and, and an incredible feat by these artists to just stick at it. Like that's, that's the beauty is that they just continued to work on the project and stayed motivated and saw it through to the end. It's, yeah, it's, it's not something that you just go, I'm going to make a map and whip up just doesn't happen you know there was a lot of fatigue this time around a friend of mine who was a carpenter built an easel for Lewis and we rented a um a little studio beautiful light in a big factory boiling hot in summer freezing cold in winter so there was challenges there but a friend built this easel that that was connected to uh, a brick wall um and we could um so lift it up and screw it into place. So Lewis, when he was drawing at the bottom of the map, um, was able to just sit and, and do that. And then when he needed to get to the top of the map, we'd just bring it down and he could uh, either sit or stand to, um, to draw at the top. So yeah, he was, um, it was really hard for him. He was at it pretty much full time for the two and a half years. And during that time, his partner gave, birth to their first child. He had to get glasses. His eyes, his eyes had gone, so he was getting glasses. You know, like he really, it was challenging. Obviously, he wanted to get it finished as well. He was enjoying the process and 
we were in a little studio, so people were coming and looking at it all the time and encouraging him and, you know, we had little exhibitions along the way and there was a lot of fun to it as well. It's very important when you're working on a project like that to get feedback while you're undergoing it because it, it is a long thing and when you get people coming in and getting excited about it and also they tell you about things that they know and you think, okay, well, I can put that on the drawing too. So it is important to get that kind of, um, have that kind of publicity that Melinda organised so that people were coming in and, you know, you, you keep regenerating your energy and and getting enthusiastic from, from other people's enthusiasm. Yeah, it's not just me saying that. They do a great job. It's a lonely process when you're standing there hour after hour after day after day and working on these little buildings that you're drawing over. You draw building after building after building. You're in your own company, you listen to the radio or whatever, but when you get feedback and people come in, it's like any artist, I think, you know, when, when you get feedback from people of, of what you've done and... They see things and enjoy it and, and you think, oh, yeah, here we go again. So you get back into it again. Like I was so busy. A lot of it's just map hustling. It's just sharing the image with people or the story or part of the story or whatever, where whatever section you are of at, at the map because it just it compounds and by the time that you actually publish, you hit your straps and you've got something to share with the world. It's not... It, yeah, you're not sitting quietly and not letting people know what you're doing. Um, as I'm just constantly out there um, talking about the maps and going to to meetings and you're doing talks and, and I do it all the time now still. It's just, you know, um, it's it's a constant process to, to, to get the sales but to just, um, yeah, share the process with people. Um, the, the biggest kick I get out of, what I do now is when I'm either talking to other artists that are just starting off in their, their journey. There's a few, few map makers, um, and Anton is one of them that I met back in 2017, I think. And so he's seen the whole process and he's been able to, um, uh, you know, learn some of the things that I've done good and bad. So, um, and I love sharing that information with other map makers and another, another guy, um, Alex Pescud um, up in uh, Wollongong, who's just finished an illustrated map of, of Wollongong, and he's done a beautiful job. And um, yeah, just along the way, I met him and have um, just passed on the information that I know. And then when I do talks to beautiful little school to school kids that are, you know, just I don't know, six or seven or eight years old, and and uh, talk about map making and the process. Basically, I like to encourage people to just do anything that they think is worthy of doing and ask questions and if they're creative, just to keep on pursuing um, their passion. But, you know, after I leave, they're all drawing maps of their school and or the local beach or whatever. And I just, I just love the thought that our map might inspire other artists or cartographers or anybody to do this kind of work. I just love encouraging these school kids um, because when I leave, you know, afterwards they're, they're making their own maps and hopefully they're the next generation of map makers, just like we were inspired by the work of um, Arthur Cook and Samuel Calvert and other beautiful old illustrations that were done in the 1800s. There's so many of them, There's so many beautiful ones. And it was sort of, it's been a bit of a lost art. Um, but, um, 
it, it there's lots more people doing it now in all different forms. Um, we just stick in our lane. We just do what we still think is good and fun and um, but have so much admiration for, um, you know, the other people that are that are doing all kinds of different beautiful maps. And, and Anton uh, Thomas has just, just finished his Wild World map and that's extraordinary. I'm sure you've seen that online and it's just, yeah, he's, he's such a talent. Deborah, did you ever get back into making maps? Oh, yeah. When Lewis was redrawing the Melbourne map, I was asked to do the characters. So I did boats and planes and cranes and some of the people that are on the drawing. And then when that work was done, Melinda said, um, how about we do a drawing of the Ballerine Peninsula, which is the peninsula that she actually lives on. And so I started working on that drawing and did that from scratch. And... That was um, also coloured by Sean Rodwell digitally. And I've just finished doing the Port Arlington drawing, of, um, which is like a vignette of, of a township on the Ballerine. And that's currently been scanned and Melinda's been at the printers um, checking it over and cleaning it. And it, it still requires a certain amount of work when you when you get things digitally scanned. And then uh, next week we're taking it to Sean and I'm actually, um, while we're talking, I'm, we have a photocopy of the drawing before it went to be scanned and I'm working out in colour pencil where what um, we'd like um, a suggestion to Sean for the colouring. So I've been doodling away on the drawing while as we speak. And this one... I just love it. This Port Arlington drawing is is um, I well, I don't want to say it's better than any of the others that I've been involved in, but I really love it. But I think it's um, if it's the last one, if it's the last one we do, well, I'm really pleased with it. Deborah, today I was at the printers, and Debbie from our printers, she said, "Melinda, this is the best one." She said, "It's just like a big warm hug." Oh. Isn't that lovely? Debbie at this this printer at Creffield um, Printers in Geelong has just been oh, just so extraordinarily helpful through the whole journey. She just takes the 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 whole process on board and makes sure that we have the very best print that we can and nothing's a problem. And I can just go back a hundred times to her and she'll just keep on working and improving or changing or fixing or trying out something different and um yeah she's just extraordinary but um yeah I wrote that down because I thought that's a good description of this Port Arlington map it's like a big hug and hopefully the people of Port Arlington will think that too because it was such a it was a much smaller area and you could just put so much more detail in it Mm. and it just represents this whole little town and how Fabulous it is and, you know, it's got a beautiful beach and waterfront and a gorgeous little town and the township, all the buildings, everyone will recognise the whole of the main street. You know, we're in amongst uh, rural areas as well. So, you know, the horse tracks are around there, the pony clubs, the the vet that flies in on on a bloke's property, you know, up the back of um, St Leonard's, Um, you know, the plane coming is going in there, the people that are, you know, um, selling mussels 
um, are on it. The, the guy that that sells donuts, <laughs> you know, it's like they're all institutions of the of the town that people will recognise. And there's a beautiful boat called Valerie that does muscle tours. So the, the owners of the, these big muscle farms um, take people out in this beautifully restored um, boat and um, takes the you know general public out. Um, you know, to to where they farm the mussels and they bring them up onto the boat and cook them and it's a whole, you know, a tourism experience and um, and we have amaz- amazing um, wineries um, on the Ballerine. So a lot of people come down from Melbourne. They, they, they leave from Docklands and catch this ferry that comes into Port Arlington and then from there they go to all the different wineries. So it has a lot, it will have a lot of appeal to people that live and visit Port Arlington, but also people from Melbourne who come down. And now, from an illustrator's point of view, it's a, a gorgeous little seaside resort. It's so cute, and you've got boats and birds and trains and planes and frogs. <laughs> We've got frogs in there. Fish. We've got fish on there. So the process for Bellarine and Port Arlington was that same aerial photos, or do you have Google Maps this time? What was the you know getting that? town plan down like deborah so when we did the ballerine map that was the traditional point of view from south looking north but because port arlington is actually on the northern side of the um, ballerine it only got a tiny little mention and so melinda thought how about we give um, port arlington its own map because it's it's definitely um a worthy township to draw and it's got a wonderful marina, it's got boats and all these lovely things happening. And so we are looking at Port Arlington from north looking south, which is very unusual. It's an unusual aspect for a map. So the the um, uh, the compass is in reverse to what you usually see on a map, which is also a curious thing. So for the ballerine, I was able to get a big chart of the ballerine and mark all the arterial roads I wanted to be on the map. So not every road is on there, but there were important ones and there were roads being constructed. So I had to find out about those. We started with that base and then could, Deborah could sort of mark those out on the base piece of paper. And then Deb likes to give, give everything perspective as well. So if a, if a road is going over a rise, she might put a little bit of a wiggle in it and and I'll go back and go, no, no, it's too much of a wiggle. People are going to get confused. And so there was a, there's all this back and forth and back and forth and back and forth for ages in pencil. And then it's not until like we're really solid, both of us, with how we want it to look and to ink. And even then, you know, there was, there's been a couple of redraws of sections. And yeah, it's, a, it's a, an evolving project, you know, all, all the way through. Um, but... Port Arlington was a little bit looser, you know, we could just, the, all the, the townships in the background could just be um, a suggestion of the township. It didn't have to be as accurate. So but although our maps, and I put a little, I'm putting it definitely on the um, the grid reference and the can you find list that I, I put with each map, I'm going to, you know, put a waiver there going, you know, this is an artistic representation and not to be used for, get, you know, for, for directions. <laughs> Um, use Google Map for that, you know, because people do get a little bit uptight about things being correct. 
and you know occasionally we have to just remind them it's an artistic representation and not a scale drawing it's a character drawing. no no it's not to, not to scale not to scale and it's just how we see it and people that look at the ballerine or the Melbourne map, they don't realise that it looks like it does because they're so used to just plugging in their phones and getting directions that way. They don't think about the landscape as much. And then when they see our maps, it puts things into perspective. And, you know, especially younger people too that don't have access to, you know, the Melways or a street directory. Um, like we did, it's good for them to understand the lay of the land and where things are in relation to each other. That happened with the, Mel- the first Melbourne map too, that they people would say, oh, so the gardens are in the middle of the city and, and the art centres over there and the CBDs on the other side of the river. They just they don't necessarily think about it until they actually see it drawn and there it is in front of you that these things are in in that relation to each other. It just gives people a new appreciation for the city they live in or the city they visited, which is sort of really how it all started for me is just like I didn't know the lay of the land when I arrived in Paris or London or, you know, or New York. But when you saw these illustrated maps, you go, oh, wow, that's where the airport is and that's where a significant building is or a place that you want to visit. It just puts it into perspective. And I think that's what our maps do. As as much as they are a piece of art and we want them on people's walls, I'm just happy that they see them, you know, and that they appreciate them and that it gives them perspective. And they can see that if they go online and just see the, the pictures or they see it. You know, they buy the map, put it up on their wall, or they buy a jigsaw and they gather every little piece of Melbourne or the ballerine when they're putting a jigsaw puzzle together. It's kind of a learning experience. And people appreciate that. I think they do, anyway. They appreciate that kind of old-fashioned way of looking at a place. You can see the context of everything. You don't get the hills, the rise, the elevation in a top-down Cartesian Google map. No. And also just the... The, the vessels that are the boats that travel through our waterways and the activities on the water are you know significant and Deborah draws really fantastic birds sometimes too many birds but she yeah <laughs> she gets carried away with the birds but gosh they look really really good yeah I did this huge bird on the ballerine drawing even and Melinda saw it and she was like that's too big. <laughs> And the beauty is that I can fix that in post-production, so. <laughs> you got to pick your bird battles. Yeah, pick yeah. your battles. Yeah, you definitely pick your <laughs> battles. And look, you know, the hardest thing to, you know, when an artist has just put their heart and soul into something and you sort of go, ooh, actually, <laughs> you know, that road is, you know, moves a bit this way or if someone, someone looks at that, they're not going to really... They're not going to get that. And, you know, we had this thing with Queenscliff down at, on the ballerine one. I was like, oh, Deb, it's going to have to be a redraw. And she's like, okay. <laughs> so she, she, she's so good at saying, okay. <laughs> and I know secretly she's like, oh, bloody hell, Melinda, not again. But And the same thing happened with Lewis. There was one whole section of the Melbourne map that was in pencil still, but it was three-month work. I was just looking at it and Lewis wasn't happy with it either and we were back and forth and trying to work out how we could fix it and I'm like, rub it out and start again because in in a year's time when we finish this map and you're looking at up on the wall and you know that that section wasn't right and you had the chance to fix it. That's true. You've got to live with that 
for the rest of your life. So it's better off to just redo that section and be be as happy as you can. Yeah, so I, I strive for a kind of perfection, but just really, you know, want to bring out the best in in the project. Do a great job. Thanks. <laughs> I don't think Sean ever contemplated working on a project for as long as he did on the, the Melbourne map. The feat that he had to accomplish with colouring that Melbourne map and every building that was on it and down to the little buoys that are on the Yarra River, there's three. There's a yellow and a blue and a red and they're the right colours. So, like, everything was researched and, you know, it's quite pedantic about uh, the colouring for it, but he, yeah, he just produced magic on that. And, and he did the same with the ballerina and we're hoping that he will on Port Arlington, but it's completely different. So we'll we'll see what happens when we meet with him on, on Friday, but um, it's a different look um, and we're experimenting with a different look because we can and we think it'll be... It'll be really nice to have have um, this map looking just a little bit different. And it may be the last one. It may not. I'm a bit exhausted. What about you, Deborah? Oh, I could go again. <laughs> well, there you go. There's your answer. Evan? I think it's easier for me because I'm doing my part, but you do so many parts to these projects. It's it's. Um, I feel like out of 10, mine is a one and yours is, you know, the other nine parts of it. It's it's they're huge projects, Evan. They're just huge. Each one is such a huge investment. Um, not just in time but in in funds. And so the ballerine one um is just brilliant and it's gone quite well, but I still haven't broken even on that project and, and we launched, you know, nearly two years ago. So they do take um a bit of time to, you know, go through their life cycle. But the the good thing is that they're around for ever and ever. But yeah, you have to be um, you have to be an expert at at the back end of a website, SEO, and it's just not fun to be doing all the time. And then you cannot do it and employ someone, and then you have to sell a ton more maps every time you employ someone to to make a change on the website or do that. So I just end up by working it out myself, and it might take me a bit longer. And you're very accessible too, so you're out there doing public speaking, which you probably didn't imagine that you would be doing in relation to maps. You know what, Evan, this is just a part of the story that Melinda has to tell about the map. There's even more that when I've been to places where Melinda has been doing public speaking and I've I've been involved just just as an audience, there's even more to it. And it, they're, they're incredibly... Um, complex, detailed projects to be involved in. You deserve a medal, Melinda. We're our own admiration society over here. <laughs> wow, two years in, did you collect crowdfunding for this or are you always out over your skis like this, Melinda? Here's a huge project. Time to spend a bunch of money and hope I make it back. I actually made quite a bit of money selling jigsaw puzzles. So not only did I sell uh, enough to pay back the debt, that I had for the first map, the Melbourne map, the second Melbourne map. That I had enough money to pour into the ballerine. And it was we were in lockdown, so it, in the moments when we weren't in lockdown, Deborah would come down to the ballerine, we'd do some research. But, research, but in those other times, I, I could still go out and do the research and send it to her electronically. We had lots of Zoom meetings. And she wasn't doing the normal work that she does, which is she's incredible an incredible person in the garden and I don't know what you call yourself now Deborah when you've got that hat on but 
Yeah, she just does amazing work in, she's as artistic in people's gardens as she is um, at the easel. And so that work wasn't happening. She couldn't go into people's places to help them in their gardens. So it was it was actually, you know, good timing that I was selling lots of jigsaw puzzles. Um, but, um, yeah, and I just, like, I can't even remember the, the actual point that we decided that we were going to do the, to, uh, I kind of, kind of can. So Deborah was not doing so much gardening and I was like, how about you just spend one day a week drawing and we'll do this Port Arlington map. So that's where it was. Like I had, I'm, I'm selling enough maps to pay for one day of, of, um, of drawing and that's how it started. Um, ended up by doing a little bit more towards the ends just to get it finished. But again, you know, it's not a, we don't do it for the money, but it's really important. If you're going to put a business plan together and you want to really seriously produce one of these maps, there's an awful lot of research and costings that you have to do prior. And there's a real lot that you have to learn about marketing um, and print production and distribution. And um, you need to be really smart about it um, and use all the resources that that you can. Um, otherwise, yeah, they will get lost and no one will know about them. Um, and um, yeah, it's a, it's a big, it's a big learning curve and it's really hard to do it if you're the artist and the promoter. And then if you're just the artist of the work, it's really hard, I would imagine, to hand that over to your baby, to someone else to promote. And I even find that now. It's like, I, I don't think I could ever outsource what I do because I don't want the map on, on cushion covers and on screensavers and on the back of mobile phone cases and T-shirts and things like that. I just, I like to make really good quality artwork in our limited editions and our prints and Australian made everything's Australian made now we do um some jigsaw puzzles and we've just gone into the to tea towels because tea towels actually are collectible things and people like them with maps on them so we pick and choose really good quality stuff and always working with people that are using ethical supplies and um and that care about you know what they're printing for us so that just, again, you know, just the joy of, of meeting up with people that uh, have got their own businesses and can reproduce it, the maps in a nice way. And I'm supporting other small businesses. They're not in big chains. They're just all in small independent stores around Melbourne. So that's a nice experience too. Is most of your sales through wholesale or do people order directly from the website and you fulfill? They do order directly from the website and I send our maps all around Australia and around the world. Just lately, there's been a resurge of wholesale sales, especially of the jigsaw puzzles that I have left of Melbourne. Um, and uh, because lots more people are visiting, of course, now, it's, it's kind of what I would have expected before COVID and never had the chance to to market to shops then and you know now our map's a few years older and people look at it and say 2019 it's you know it's old but it's not um but um yeah it's a mix it's a mix of wholesale and and retail I used to advertise a lot on Facebook and Instagram and again I just found that I was just pouring a whole lot of money um and giving it to Mark Zuckerberg and which meant I had to sell a huge volume of maps to pay for the agency that did our, 
advertising to the videographer who did the, you know, put the ad together um, and then spends copious amounts of hours packaging and posting. And in the end, when you do the figures, it's like I've worked really, really hard and I've kept, you know, people engaged and employed, I suppose, and and poured a whole lot of money in advertising um, when I kind of now just let it be organic. Um, when I do a talk, I sell a lot of maps because once people see um, the story, I have a little audio-visual um, presentation that I do and then they appreciate the work. I think it would be like any author that goes and does a talk at, about their book, then you, they'd sell a lot of books on that night. So, so that that is good and I'll continue to wholesale and I'm just planning on doing a, a good old-fashioned brochure which um, for the Port Arlington and Ballerine maps and, and uh, I try and get out for a walk every morning and I'm just going to go to a different part of um, Port Arlington every morning and do old-fashioned brochures in people's um, uh, letterboxes and at least they'll get a copy of the map. It'll just be an A4 and it might have a little bit of my writing over the top of it, but they'll be able to actually see it and they'll know that they've seen it and if they'd like to buy one, great. Um, if not, they'll stick it on their fridge and, and someone else will see it. So that's the old-fashioned type of um, promotion that I'm heading towards now rather than advertising. I still do social media and bits and pieces like that, but it's um it's a whole occupation in itself doing that whole marketing thing and yeah I'm tiring of of that a bit I love that still willing to put in the miles <laughs> tuck a bunch of sheets under your arm and go drop mailers do you like this map it could be bigger in your house we'll see if it works you know <laughs> the Port Arlington I was at the printers today doing test prints in my car and I'm and a yellow highlighter and um I'll be highlighting different bits on the map for the next day just so that we can go back and clean some of the pencil marks that are there and and just different different bits and pieces just to get it as as good as I possibly can and then got some pre-orders so I'll be packaging those up and getting them to people and then we meet with Sean for the colouring um, and then start doing a bit of a promotion. I've got to look out for some kind of gallery space down in Port Arlington on I've got my eye on a couple of shops that are for sale um, and I just need to convince the agents and the current owners to let me set up a little display in their, in their buildings. If not, I'll find another way or do something. But um, that's generally how, we, how it goes. Just something happens. Serendipity always works. Something delivers somewhere, somehow along the way and, and it's always meant to be. You mentioned before the uh, vacant shop front gallery idea, which I love. So you don't pay the owner anything. You're just like, hey, do the city a favor. Let me put the beautiful map in here. Let me tell you about the last time we did that. There was a shop in Port Arlington that was just perfect to do a little display of the ballerine map as it was being done. So I went to the real estate agent and, and I said, you know, I can see the shop up the road. It's empty. Would I be able to rent it for, you know, a week to 10 days? And he said, no. I don't think the owners would like that. They, yeah, they're just looking for a, a long-term tenant and all that. And I said, look, I can understand, you know, that, but could I just give you these pictures and could you pass that on to the owner and just see if they'd be interested? And, you know, when the map's finished, I'll give them a limited edition print and can you just at least ask them? And he had a look at 
the drawings and then I had my phone open at the Instagram page and all that. And he said, yep, you can have it. And I said, but aren't you going to show it to the owner? He said, I do own the shop. <laughs> so he was, he was trying to blow me off before, you know, because he wasn't interested in, in someone just, you know, having his shop for a week. But I just convinced him in that conversation. And so we got that space and it was just awesome for people thought that it was a gallery space and that it had been there forever. And we, um, Deborah came down for a week and same thing in the front window drawing. And we, we got, she got so much information from people in, in, uh, living on the ballerine and a lot more stuff went into the map. And then there's people feel like they've contributed and then they're eagerly awaiting for it to come out. So, um, hopefully the same kind of thing will happen when we, um, with the port map, we'll see. I, I just, I go and you just talk about it a bit and someone knows somebody. I, mean, I live in a small country town, so you kind of, everybody knows everybody and if there's a possibility, I'm sure it'll come. Yep. A little serendipity goes a long way. If you have any cartographers or artists that people should check out, I'm always looking for, you know, new people and I'm sure my listeners are too. Absolutely. This Alex Pescard that's just done the Wollongong map. There's another guy. Um, uh, I just, his name escapes me just at the moment. I do know him well, but I'm just, he's just mapped uh, all the pumps in Melbourne um, on, on, on all the train lines. So he's doing his own thing. There's a, there's a few actual map makers that I've come across just because I've done, I did a talk recently at the um, State Library and it was all about modern maps. So there was a few people there that I should connect you with. Are you going to be talking to Anton again about his, his new map? Oh, I should. He's going to be doing a full court press to get the word out for that one. Even his North American continent map is just extraordinary. And, and I, I don't think he's even hit the side yet. Like there's, there's so much opportunity for that illustration as well as this new one. So yeah, and he's he's... He does everything. He is just amazing. He does his artwork and he's so involved with every aspect of um, Envy's drawing and publishing it and promoting it. And he does, a, he does an amazing job. He's a pretty extraordinary guy, really. Thank you, Melinda, for giving me the whole rundown. I mean, <laughs> what, an, what an incredible story of you just you know, throwing all the time and all the money into making the most beautiful maps more than once. Like most people would, you know, swing, oh, wow, I got 50,000 in the hole at 22% and I'm out and then stop. And you just never stopped. Yeah, no, you have to be a tiny bit crazy, I suppose, to do what we do. But um, yeah, no, thanks. Thanks for inviting us. I look, I've listened to your podcast and other people and I'm just always fascinated by, you know, other people's journeys as well. I think it's great. And, and kudos to anybody who listens to us for, for two hours. If they want to know any anything else, then... They should just email me. Happy to answer any questions. Have a wonderful evening. All right. Good on you, Evan. Nice to meet you. Bye. See their maps at themelburnmap.com.au. For show notes and bonus content, visit veryexpensivemaps.com. This episode is brought to you by The Map Consultancy, supplier of professional, data-driven maps for your decks, reports, walls, and events. Visit themapconsultancy.com to see what good maps can do for you. I'm Evan Applegate, I'm a cartographer, and you should make your own maps. 
No one wants to see dull, ugly maps. If you want to get through to your customers, you need the best cartography money can buy. The Map Consultancy will create maps with your data and your branding, PowerPoint decks, annual reports, conferences and events, your office walls. The Map Consultancy does it all. Visit themapconsultancy.com and get the best maps today.